I went to the city council meeting that night with the anticipation of wanting to speak up in opposition to this and to tell the city council and the mayor at the time that I think that there's other ways that they can kind of cut back on costs to save money instead of increasing this tax burden on our residents. Okay. Well, I showed up with about 1,200 other people. I was floored. I could not believe how many people were outside of City Hall. They were like pissed off and chanting and picketing. And I was like, oh my God, how, like, how is this even possible? How can you have such a disconnect with your community that this many people come out and are rallying, you know, in, in opposition to a piece of legislation that you created? So I felt there was a really big disconnect between the people that were leading our city and what the people wanted. And isn't that what politicians are supposed to do? That night I said, I'm running for mayor. Welcome to Be The Change, a Connecticut News Junkie original podcast. I'm your host, Emily DeSalvo. Today on Be The Change, I spoke with New Britain Mayor Erin Stewart about how she went from softball coach to mayor. We discussed being a young Republican woman, governing during the pandemic, and being a working mom. Thank you so much for being here, Mayor Stewart. I appreciate you coming on. No problem, Emily. (laughs) Great. Thank you for um, coming on today. And I want to start with the fact that, Mayor, you were first elected um, at age 26 to be the mayor of New Britain. And despite being young, I'm wondering what experiences did you have prior to being elected that made you feel that you were prepared to be mayor at that time? So I always make this joke because I don't think that like you can't learn how to be mayor in a classroom or through a textbook. It just, you know, (laughs) I mean, I will say the advantage that I had going into it was I had spent six years um, volunteering for the city on a commission for community and neighborhood development and a commission for youth and family services. So I was kind of familiar with the city process, um, just kind of like how things work in city hall. Full disclosure, my dad was mayor, so I did have that going for me too. Um, But I was also elected to the board of education. So I ran for the board of ed when I was 23. I was a softball coach at New Burton High School, and it was my my kids that were like, Miss, you should run for Board of Ed. Like, our school lunches suck. Our teachers don't care about what we do. You should run for the Board of Ed. And it was one of those things where I actually watched a Board of Education meeting and realized that nobody on the Board of Ed, like, was anywhere near our age range. And so I, I ran at 23 and one, and then it all kind of, like, took off from there. Uh-huh. So on your time at the Board of Ed, what problems or um, projects did you work on that then inspired you to run for higher office? So I realized very quickly that um, academia is a very strange place, (laughs) if that makes sense. Um, I wasn't an educator. Um, I was just kind of on the board just to give my real life or real world experiences as a product of the New Britain public school system. I mean, it wasn't, I wasn't too far out when I first got elected there. So I, you know, was just giving my opinion. Um, And, you know, it was definitely like, it was, it was an interesting experience to say the least because I was so much younger than everyone too. So inherently like nobody took me seriously or they all kind of like brushed me off um and you know they would call me the kid the kid the kid the kid um what does she know you know oh the kid's trying to speak again arguably I still get that to this day as mayor um people think I'm like 
you know, every year you get older, but people think I'm perpetually 25 years old, which is fine. I'm cool with that. <laughs> but, but, you know, I mean, it gets kind of old after a while. But why I really ran for mayor was I, on the board of ed, I was increasingly frustrated with um, things that I was seeing on the city side and how the city operations were impacting the operations of the board of ed. And there was, it, it was, I'll never forget this night. There was a piece of legislation that was on the city council agenda that was going to affect a lot of our families. And it was an added um, tax that was going to be placed on all of our renters in town. So like in a city like New Britain, most people rent an apartment. They're like, you know, we have more renters than homeowners. Okay. Just the way that it is when you have two and three family homes all over the place. So this piece of legislation was going to charge an extra, it was like $200 a year each unit. That's a huge tax increase for people who are already renting. And we were getting a lot of complaints from our families and our parents that were already struggling to make ends meet. Long and short of it is I went to the city council meeting that night with the anticipation of wanting to speak up in opposition to this and to tell the city council and the mayor at the time that I think that there's other ways that they can kind of cut back on costs to save money instead of increasing this tax burden on our residents. Okay. Well, I showed up with about 1,200 other people. I was floored. I could not believe how many people were outside of city hall. They were like pissed off and chanting and picketing. And I was like, oh my God, how, like, how is this even possible? How can you have such a disconnect with your community that this many people come out and are rallying, you know, in, in opposition to a piece of legislation that you created? So right. I felt there was a really big disconnect between the people that were leading our city and what the people wanted. And isn't that what politicians are supposed to do? Like be, you know, I'm supposed to do my job based off of what the people in my community want. Not necessarily, you know, what I always think is right, um, but it's what the people want. That's who you're there to represent. So that night I said, I'm running for mayor. And my friends were like, what? Like, are you kidding me? You're not running for mayor. I go, mm -hmm. oh yeah, I am running for mayor. <laughs> there is no doubt about it. <laughs> and I guess, well, <laughs> we did it. <laughs> ben Mayor, do you feel that? Are the, is anything caused to pick it? Have you ever no. had No. <laughs> okay. No. <laughs> I mean, God, like you, you, you try to do, um, listen, it's all about talking to the people and sure, not everything that I do is, you know, everybody agrees with, mm -hmm. but I think what people in my community will agree with is that they trust the fact that I'm making a good decision on their behalf, but mm -hmm if I ever felt that there was some like issue that people would start picketing, there's got to be some kind of compromise somewhere, right? There's yeah. got to be a middle ground somewhere. And if people were that upset about it, then I would know um, that there needs to be some type of middle ground to be achieved to prevent that from happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Several years ago, you said that when you were a softball coach, kids were complaining that school lunches were bad and and teachers weren't um, responding to the kids. What is the state of the New Britain schools today and have they improved since then? So, and for, like, I wish I could say, yeah, they've come around, but unfortunately they're not. Um, the school lunch has definitely gotten better through a new partnership, but unfortunately um, 
our student productivity um, has not. Um, we've seen small increases in, you know, our graduation rates and things like that, but I really don't think that the needle has moved far enough. Um, one of the things that I did learn is that when I ran for mayor and left the Board of Ed, oh, I really left the Board of Ed because in cities, in the city of New Britain's charter, it actually prevents the mayor from overreaching into the Board of Education. So wow. the only thing that I get to say every year is how much money the Board of Education gets um, okay. from our local tax dollars, how they spend it. I'm like specifically prohibited from, from being a part of those discussions. Okay. It's, it's definitely like the most frustrating part of the job because inevitably when things go wrong in the schools, right? Everybody looks at the mayor like, mayor, what are you doing? And I always have to say to people, um, I can't do anything. And they think it's like this big cop out, but it's really not. <laughs> um, if I could change one thing about our structure, like that would definitely be it. Okay. Um, so as a Republican, a lot of support among the Gen Z voters, especially at the national level, is for the Democratic Party. Um, why do you think that is and how can Republicans that are on the younger side like you are change that? Yeah, I mean when people <laughs> When I tell people I'm a Republican, they're like what you're a Republican <laughs> I'm like, yeah, like it's possible like there are young people that do have, you know, Republican philosophies We're not all like evil um, I just think that the Republican Party in general hasn't done a good enough job at appealing to you know a, a younger base of voters and that's also because the types of candidates that they put forth don't have anything necessarily in common with a lot of younger voters. And, you know, I've been criticized a lot for my political stances um, because I'm very, like, socially liberal. Um, you know, there's all, all the issues that are important to, like, Gen Z voters, you know, whether it's, you know, women's rights or gay rights. I mean, these are things that, that we all see eye to eye on. Um, for an older generation, it's a deal breaker between a Democrat or Republican affiliation. For me, I don't really look at it that way. I think that I can be a Republican and still be liberal on those, those stances, which drives a lot of, um, I'll say, older generation Republicans kind of crazy. They call me a rhino all the time for it. That's like an acronym. So it stands for Republican in name only, whatever the heck that's supposed to mean, like it's a bad thing. Um, but I just don't, you know, my, my values when it comes to being a Republican come in funding, right? So I don't think that the, I don't believe in big government. Um, I don't think that the government should be like reaching into every facet of our lives. I think, you know, people should have the ability to, to you know, to flourish on their own in a free market, in a free world, um, and not have the government creeping into every piece of that. And that's where my Republican ideologies come from. Unfortunately, um, you know, a lot of other people in today's world, they just don't see it that way or don't want to accept that that's my reality of what being a Republican is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if you support, you know, a lot of those like socially liberal ideas, women's rights, climate change, things like that, um, how do you fund those with the small government idea and the, and the cuts to funding and cuts to taxes and things like that? So it's not necessarily always about like, you know, about cutting things, but reallocating resources to the issues that you see as most important at the time, but 
you have to live within your means. So oftentimes you see like government spending just go out of control and then people go bankrupt because they can't afford the damn taxes that they have to pay. Mm -hmm. I think that you have to be realistic with, you know, how much people can afford to pay in taxes. Um, especially listen, I come from a hardworking blue collar community where, you know, people and taxes are high here because they have to be, um, to afford the amount of services that we have to provide to needy residents. Um, but but, you know, you just have to have a good balance of putting resources into the buckets of where they need to go and finding creative ways to fund initiatives. It doesn't always have to be government funded. You know, you can partner with different nonprofits or different organizations or um, for-profit businesses to achieve the same goal and not necessarily use the taxpayer dollars. Mm -hmm. Um, so to pivot a little bit, this year has been particularly challenging to be a mayor or any local official due to the pandemic. So I was wondering what kind of things you've had to change in your way that you've operated because of um, COVID-19 and what initiatives you've put forward to help New Britain residents during this challenging time. Yeah, this is um, unprecedented for anybody and for any leader. And I think a lot of people are, you know, adapting to this new reality. I mean, just being here on Zoom with you is not something that a year ago I would ever even like think about doing, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I think, gosh, there's so many things that we've had to change. The way that I do meetings, um, the way that I hold meetings, you know, the mask requirements in City Hall. Um, how, I, I will say the most important piece about dealing with this whole pandemic has been how I've tried to navigate educating the public about it. Um, and what I started doing was uh, twice a week, I would do Facebook Live updates. So I would almost have like a town hall meeting like every other day, specifically about coronavirus in town. And I would do it on Facebook Live so that we can have like real life, like a live time back and forth. People can ask questions. I could actually take, um, I had like my whole staff like on call for these Facebook Live events because people would direct message me if they didn't want something to be seen publicly. Um, just helping people navigate through the crisis, but helping people feel a little bit more comforted too, that we're answering them. So social media became and still is an incredible tool in that regard um, where that's how we're communicating. People aren't going to the corner store and grabbing a newspaper in the morning. They're not subscribing, unfortunately, to, to print media anymore. We really had to adapt. Um, but my view, and I always said this from the beginning, how can I help make people feel comfortable um, in a very uncomfortable environment? And I always looked at I can make people feel comfortable by giving them information. And we live in like this information age, right? We need to know what we need to know it now. Um, and if we don't know it, then, then we fill the void and, and come up with all these other crazy conspiracy mm -hmm. theories. So how can I help people feel comforted by giving them all the information? And that's just what I've tried to do. So instead of doing it twice a week, now maybe I'm doing it like once every other week. <laughs> um, but it still is a good opportunity for people to feel like they have a direct pipeline to the government too. Yeah. I know that even before the coronavirus, ending homelessness has been one of your initiatives um, throughout your time as a mayor. And with that being said, there's, there's an eviction crisis on the horizon and a lot of people are struggling with housing security. So how are, are 
is New Britain and your staff working to mobilize for this? Yeah, so that's a really, it's just a tough topic right now because, you know, okay, so maybe we don't have a lot of people that are homeless right now, um, but that's because the moratorium still hasn't ended and Governor right. Lamont has extended it um, again. Um, but in preparation for when that moratorium does stop and our landlords are going to start evicting people. Um, we have actually utilized some of our CARES Act money to hire an eviction and foreclosure mediator. So we have a new employee in City Hall. She works for our community services office. And not only does she help run our entire homeless plan, but she also is our eviction and foreclosure mediator. Um, and so she has a list that's only about a dozen people long right now um, who know that they're going to lose their home as soon as this moratorium is, is ended. And what she is doing is working directly with their landlords to try to work out some type of payment plan or try to help be an intermediary for them to prevent them. Everything's about prevention at this point. So all of our efforts are towards prevention. And um, we just had an awesome conference uh, through Connecticut Conference of Municipalities and the Connecticut Coalition for Ending Homelessness last week. It was a week-long conference um, all about ending homelessness in the state of Connecticut. And we heard from incredible um, you know, social workers and agencies all throughout the state of different tactics that they're taking in all different in all the different counties in Connecticut. And I think, you know we're gonna continue those conversations because if we're learning from each other, um, it's only going to enhance the services that we're able to provide to keep people off of the street. I could talk about this topic forever and I know that we're like on a limited time, so I'm gonna stop. <laughs> no, that's, obviously it's one of the, the major concerning side effects of the pandemic is just like the sheer amount of poverty that's resulted from it. So it's great that people are working on it on a local level, but it, it has to come from the state and, and across the board as well. It definitely does. And you have to remember it ties into so many other human service um, problems that we're having right now too with the opioid crisis, homelessness and opioids and mental health, you know, they're all directly linked. Um, and so one of the things that we're talking about in town here is we have all these different initiatives for handling, you know, we have our homeless plan. We have our New Britain Recovers Opioid Task Force. We have our local prevention council for preventing youth um, alcohol and drug use. You know, how are we going to marry all of these things together so that when we're starting to see that uptick again, we can make sure that we're collectively addressing all of these issues together. So that we're kind of like in a strategic planning phase right now to figure out what does that look like and how do we fund it. Mm -hmm. A second major topic of conversation over the past several months has been police brutality that's been going on sort of at the same time of, as the pandemic. What Have you made any changes to the New Britain Police Department or had any conversations with them as a result of the events and the protests of the past several months? A lot. Um, these conversations have been ongoing in New Britain for years, um, and they've been going on for a very long time. We had, it was about, I'll say about a decade ago, um, our police department was going through a lot 
of struggles. We had a lot of scandals that were happening in our PD. It was very public. Um, and there was a huge shift, a huge mind shift that, that needed to happen in our own police department. Um, it's been a long time since we've been chipping away at that, changing the mentality of our officers to not be warriors of our community, but to be guardians of our community. And that's still something, a mindset that we're trying to change and instill in all of our officers day in and day out. Um, we undertook the process of rewriting every single one of our police policies. Um, this was a massive undertaking and extremely expensive, um, but it was well worth it because we modeled everything off of President Obama's 21st century um, task force on policing. Okay which really delves deep into getting rid of that warrior mentality and looking at yourself as a police officer, as a guardian of your community, a, a protector. Um, and so all of those policies have been rewritten to reflect these 21st century realities mm -hmm. that we live in, in the age that we're, we're dealing with, with police brutality. Mm -hmm. um, we've revised all of our structures for disciplinary procedures too, right? Zero tolerance policies across the board um, for these actions that, you know what, if, if someone is, is acting in a certain way and we know that they have a history of doing it by get out of my police department. You know, you can sue me all you want. That's fine. I don't want you here. Um, but you know, it, it's, there's a lot of work that still has to be done too. Mm -hmm. And a lot of work that has to be done. Not only what, as a mayor, you deal with the work that has to happen, the changes internally, but also the external changes that have to happen as well, which deals with the perception of how the public views your police department. And so we've been working on a lot of items regarding that as well starting a citizen police academy where we're actually letting um, any citizen register for this academy class where they are learning the ins and outs of the New Britain Police Department. It's a six-week class. They're coming into the PD. We are showing you everything that we've got. Here's how we operate. Um, we started doing this with our churches too. Um, we made a more robust program for our um, youth police explorers program to try to create a pipeline of police officers for the younger um, people in our community. Hopefully, you know, we want people who live in our community protecting our community. So we're trying to create these pipelines. There's a lot <laughs> and we're chipping away at it. Yeah, it sounds like you're looking at all different sides of the issue. Um, that's great. So as one of my closing questions for a young people that are, you know, considering running for office at a young age as you did, uh, what is your advice for them on how to get started and why should they do it even if they're a little nervous about it? Being nervous is a good thing, right? First and foremost, if you're nervous about it, do it. That means it's right. When you have the little butterflies in your stomach, listen, I still get those to this day. Um, but to get started, find that, find where your passion is, right? When I said I wanted to run for mayor, it was because I had that passion. I sat there and I looked at the issue that was at hand and I felt really strong about it. Like I really do think that I could do this and make a difference. Um, you've got to have that fire in your belly, right? And, and you've got to have that passion for wanting to make a difference. But you also don't have to, you know, go right to the top, start small. Maybe it's volunteering on a board or a commission. Um, maybe it's running for the board of that. Maybe it's something smaller like the zoning board, something to just kind of get your feet wet. 
but you also might consider joining your local town committee. So your Democratic town committee or maybe your Republican town committee um, can be a good place to start to kind of start to get to know the political players in your respective um, towns. And interning too, listen, don't take interning for granted. I know everyone's like, oh, interning, it's a pain in the butt because you don't get paid or oftentimes you don't. But listen, I took every opportunity that I had available to me interning in every office that I could volunteering my time because it's maybe not necessarily about what you're learning when you're there, but it's about who you are meeting when you're there too. And some of the people that I connected with and met when I was an intern, you know, for, um, for uh, Governor Rell are still some of the people who I connect with to this day. So mm -hmm. don't underestimate that either. And if you ever, you know, need advice too, go to other younger elected officials. Listen, you're not gonna find me not respond to a young person who messages me and is like, hey, I really wanna get involved in my community, what do you suggest? Just message another younger elected official and they're gonna jump at the opportunity to tell you how. Mm -hmm. And what's next for you? Being that you're still young, you have a lot of time to consider your political career or like something outside of politics. What are you thinking about for the next couple of years? Is the question that's on everybody's mind when they talk to me. What are you doing? <laughs> um, I mean, I am. I announced that I'm running for mayor again for the city of New Britain. So 2021, I'll be on the ballot again. And then everyone asks me if I'm running for governor again. So, I mean, it's no secret. I tried to run for governor in 2018. I failed. Um, and let that be a learning lesson too. You're not always going to win um, when you run for office. Sometimes you have to run a couple of times before, you know, it happens. Losing isn't always the, the worst thing in the world because you learn a lot from it in the process. Mm -hmm. I learned a hell of a lot going through that process. Um, and now I get to think about whether or not I want to do it again. Um, but as you get older, things get more complicated. I'm married now. I have a kid now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely like in the part of my career where it's like, okay, I have other factors that I have to consider. Um, but, you know, I mean, right now, definitely running for mayor again, because my work here in New Britain isn't done. Um, but, you know, we'll see what the future holds. I don't know. I never expected to be in politics to begin with. Are you yeah. kidding me? I like, I, was, I thought I was going to be a waitress at J. Timothy's forever. <laughs> Fun, right? I, I know. Growth there. <laughs> I mean, I was, I thought I was going to be there. I initially, when I like, when I started going to college, I wanted to be a pharmacist. You know, mm -hmm. I would have made a lot more money if I did that too, but it's the, <laughs> it's the, the work in politics can be rewarding. As, um, but, you know, we'll see where life takes me. What's it like doing this job while having a young child? Oh my God. Like, um, <laughs> it's tough. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I have a pack and play in my conference room. I've been having to bring her in the office a couple of times and it's like, Oh God, I really hate to do this, but sorry, babe, here you go. <laughs> Just be quiet for a few minutes. Um, it's definitely a juggling act, right? It's tough. I mean, I, and I'm lucky that I have the ability to bring her into my office. Not every working mom has that ability, but daycare is, very expensive very expensive <laughs> yeah and also with the pandemic some parents don't want to send their kids anywhere that they don't know they can control it you're absolutely right and not only that um you have a lot of places that because of the pandemic won't allow you to send your child there unless it is for like a consistent period of time so like 
I could really use a, find a place for two days a week, but I can't find somewhere to get only two days a week because they want you there for like at least four. <laughs> uh, neither here nor there. It's difficult, but we're adjusting. Yeah. Wow. Well, Mayor, I really appreciate your time today. Best of luck in all of your future endeavors. And um, I hope that you have a great weekend. Thanks, Emily. It was so good to meet you.